You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Miraville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. Remember what Jesus told the disciples that he was going to make them? There was a really interesting uh, story and comment that Jesus makes to the disciples in Matthew chapter 4. And he says, follow you and, and I'm going to make you something. And, and uh, you would think that Jesus would say, hey, follow me and I'm going to make you a better person. Or follow me and I'm going to make you a good husband. I'm going to make you holy or something to that effect. But he in fact doesn't actually say that. He says, follow me and I will make you a fisher of men. And so we, we think about that and we're like, man, uh, when I became a Christian, I, I did not understand what that meant at all. Uh, in fact, when I became a Christian, I, I decided to follow Jesus for very selfish reasons. I mean, I came to Jesus because I felt bad about my sin and I had a need in my life and the gospel kind of filled that need for me. And I wasn't thinking about anybody else when I followed Christ and Perhaps you came to Christ in much the same way. You, you didn't really think about other people. You were just thinking about, yeah, man, I feel bad about my sins. I, I need to be forgiven and, and uh, I believe in Jesus. This whole thing sounds good to me. And, and, and we didn't really think about the impact. We didn't really think about what it meant to actually become a fisher of men. Now, obviously this has nothing to do with actual fishing. It, it has everything to do with, you know, becoming a Christian means that we are understanding who Jesus is, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, that through him, we have forgiveness of sin. By surrendering our life to him, we are, are, are saying that we're gonna follow you, Jesus, and we're trusting in you to forgive us of sin and to give us eternal life. And, and what he is calling us to is to take that message and to share it with other people. And so that's what it essentially means to be a fisher of men, to, to vocally be, be talking about our faith, to talk about the gospel, to talk about Jesus. And, and uh, what Jesus is saying is, I'm going to develop you into this kind of person. I'm going to make you this kind of person. Because when we essentially first come to Christ, we're not there. We don't know how to do that. We're, we come to Christ for selfish reasons, and, and we don't really understand what that means. But that's part of the journey, is, is that he's going to develop us and, and, and to make us into this kind of person. Now, you might think, why in the world do we have to even do that? Why do we have to become a fisher of men? I mean, can't we just be Christians and, and just kind of do our thing and let everybody else just kind of do their thing? They don't want to, you know, hear it anyway. They don't, they don't care about their faith. They don't care about Jesus. They don't, they're not going to believe, right? I mean, so why do we even have to bother? Well, today I want to give you some compelling reasons why we do need to bother with this. Why, in fact, we do need to talk about the gospel. Why we do need to talk about Jesus in our everyday life. Because what Jesus is saying here in Matthew 4 is essentially this. My primary goal for you is to make you a fisher of men. So if you are a believer today and you're like, man, I'm not a fisher of men. Then what we've got to do is step back and say, well, wait a minute here. If following Jesus means that he's making us and he's developing us into a fisher of men, and I'm not a part of that process, I'm not developing into that kind of person, then something is missing in your life today. And I want to share three compelling reasons that you and I must, must, must talk about our faith. And we must talk about the gospel. We must talk about the resurrection of Jesus every opportunity we get. And here's the first reason. The first reason is this. According to Matthew 4, 9, 
When Jesus said, follow me, I'm going to make you a fisher of men, this means that Jesus said his goal was to make you a fisher of men. So if his goal, if his priority in our life is not to make us a better person or to make us follow the Old Testament or make us follow the Ten Commandments, if his goal is to develop us into a fisher of men, then that's a pretty compelling reason why we must be actively a part of that process. And so as a church, we've got a process that we call the journey. And this is what you hear us talk about base camp. This is the first step and camp two and camp three. And, and this is how we are partnering with you to help you develop into someone, a follower of Jesus that is being made, being developed, being equipped into a man, a woman, a student who is in fact becoming a fisher of men. This is why it's important. But I want to really focus today on the second and third reason, because I believe the second reason especially is so compelling. Like it is so motivating when you think about it, that some of you are going to leave today completely changed. Because I believe when this truth really sets root in your heart, when you really begin to live your life, you know, in this truth, and it is so motivating, it is so compelling, it changes everything about the way that you think about other people and the way that you live your life. I have known people who have been so compelled by this reason that they have left their secular jobs and they have committed their life to full-time ministry in God's church. I have friends and I know many, many people who have been so compelled by this reason that they sold everything that they had and they moved to a completely foreign country to tell people about Jesus. Our family pastor, Pastor Greg, who left last year to go plant a church in Washington, D.C., left us, went to a city that was unfamiliar to him and his family, all because of this reason. Well, what is that reason? Before I actually tell you, I want us to look at Acts chapter 4 and, 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 and read it for ourselves. And, and as you are turning in your Bible to Acts chapter 4, let me remind you what we talked about last week. Acts chapter 3 uh, Peter and John heal a man who was born crippled. And when this man stands up and he is healed, Peter has the attention of all the people in town because they are all amazed. They're all filled with wonder. And Peter takes that attention that they have given to him and he begins to preach the gospel. Now, as he is preaching the gospel, he gets arrested. But not before thousands of people commit their life to Christ. In the very beginning of chapter 4, it says that the church grew to 5,000 men. So it starts off with about 120, 150 people. On Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, Peter preaches. 3,000 people are added to the church. And then now in Acts 4 here, the total comes to 5,000. But the Bible says that that's 5,000 men. So essentially, when you add the women, some of the children that were there that repented of sin, you know, you're talking about the church that has grown from 100 plus people to now maybe seven, eight, nine, ten thousand people. It had exploded after two gospel spirit-filled sermons. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. And so now in Acts 2, Peter and John are arrested for this. They're standing before essentially the Supreme Court of the day, and they're being judged for what has happened. And this is what is said. Look at verse 7 the end. The religious leaders say, by what power or by what name did you do this? And verse 8, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed? In other words, if you're asking me 
Now, this good deed that we did, if you're asking me how in the world did we heal this man, this crippled man, he says this. Let it be known in verse 10 to all of you and all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him, this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you and builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So the first compelling reason here is that the goal of Jesus for your life and for my life as a follower of him is that he would make us a fisher of men. But now we're seeing some other things that are important. In verse eight, it says that Peter was filled with the Spirit. Now think with me for a moment. Kind of put yourself in his shoes. He had lived his life for three years with Jesus. And one day Jesus comes to him and starts teaching. And in Luke chapter 12, Jesus says, you're going to be arrested. And when you come before the rulers and the authorities, he says, don't be anxious about how you uh, should defend yourself or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you should say. So now, fast forward, Peter is now standing before the rulers and the authorities. And I would imagine he's having this aha type moment. He's like, oh my gosh, like Jesus was telling me about this. And now here I am, I'm actually before the authorities, I'm, I'm, I'm arrested. And what did he say? I can't remember what he said. I'm a little anxious, I'm a little nervous. What should I say? What should I say? I don't know, I don't know. Oh, wait a minute. Jesus told me not to worry about it, that he's gonna give me the words to say. And here's the truth of the matter. The promise that the Spirit is gonna give you those words is there for you as well. Jesus says to go and make disciples, and, uh, and, and this is the Great Commission. He says, go and make disciples, baptize them, teach them everything I've taught you, and I'm going to be with you. So when you talk about your faith, when you talk about the gospel, when you talk about Jesus, the promise that Jesus gives to us is that the Holy Spirit is going to give you the words. He's going to give you the truth that you need to share in that moment. And in verse 11, now Peter shifts to a quotation from Psalm 118. And he quotes a very familiar prophetic Old Testament verse that all the religious leaders would have had memorized. They would have all understood what this text was about. It was proclaiming that a Messiah would come, but people will reject him. And so he says, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And essentially what he's saying is, look, this is a culture, by the way, that everyone would have constructed and built their own home. They were building their own facilities and structures, not like us today where we hire people to, you know, you know lay concrete and, you know, steal buildings and this kind of stuff. They didn't have that. So you didn't go to Home Depot and buy a cornerstone. You had to get a rock and you had, you know, a, a, a technician would cut it perfectly. And it had to be cut perfectly in the right angle or the entire building would be off kilter. And if you were to remove that or if it wasn't created in the right way, then the whole building could tumble. And so essentially the prophecy was that the Messiah, the one that God is sending, is going to be the very foundation of your faith. He's going to be the foundation of your salvation. So the interpretation for us is that Jesus is the foundation of our faith. And if you remove him, the whole thing crumbles. And this verse that all of these religious leaders would have had memorized, and you can imagine as they're memorizing it as teenagers, like what kind of an idiot is going to reject this, this person that God sends? What kind, of, 
What kind of moron do you have to be to, to, to reject God's chosen one? And Peter says, you know what, guys? You did it. You rejected him. You killed him. You crucified him. You rejected the one that God sent. And here's, here's what he says in verse 12. Let's look at it again. He says, there is, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. That's a great verse to underline and remember. This is a powerful verse. This is a compelling reason that you and I should be actively engaged in sharing our faith and learning how to do this and equipping ourselves on how to do this. Because the reality is this, Jesus is the only path to forgiveness and eternal life. He's the only path to forgiveness and eternal life. He says there's no salvation without Jesus. He's the only way to receive forgiveness. He's the only way to receive eternal life. He's the only way to God. Now, I know, I know, I know, this is not a popular belief today. Even among church people, they, 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 they tend to struggle with this concept. But what Peter is saying here is, look, I'm not arguing with you about anything today. All I'm saying is this. There is no salvation apart from faith in Jesus. No other name can save you. No other religion can save you. You have no other chance to go to heaven apart from Jesus Christ. What he's teaching is that salvation isn't found in your performance. Salvation isn't accomplished by you living a good life or, or becoming a good religious person. He's what he's saying is, look, at the end of the day, there's no other name. There's no other way that you and I can have forgiveness of our sins and eternal life. Some people say in our culture, you know what? Jesus is a way. If you want to follow him, go for it. I'm sure he's a way to heaven. I'm sure he's a way to God. But, you know, you can believe other things too. I mean, you can believe, you know, in, you know, Islamic faith. And you, you can follow that path or you can follow the Hindu path. You can follow whatever path you feel like, like it's working for you or what, what, what you think you know, feels good. And you can do that. And surely God's just at the end of the day going to see that, all right, man, you, you made a good effort. And all this was you know, you know, part of my plan anyway. And, and you're going to get to go to heaven. Just be faithful in that religion. But guys, this is the truth of the scripture. You can wrestle with this. You can struggle with this. But make no doubt about it. What Peter is teaching here, what he means is that there is no salvation for anyone apart from calling upon the name of Jesus. And folks, this must be a compelling reason for you and I to get engaged and start allowing Jesus to make you, to develop you into a person who is fishing for men, into a woman, into a man, into a student that is actively engaged in this great commission that Jesus calls us to. The International Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention says that there are over 3,000 people groups, not 3,000 people, 3,000 various people groups who are unengaged with the gospel all around the world. What that means is they don't know a single Christian and there's not a single Christian who is even thinking about going to them to tell them about Jesus. Over 3,000. David Platt says that that means that there are 2 billion people in the world who have never even heard the gospel before. 81% of all Hindus, Muslims, and Buddhists do not know one single Christian. If the reality of this text is true, then you and I must be compelled. This should be motivation. This should be energy. 
that as you go to work tomorrow, that as you travel, that as you're involved in your kids' activities, that you carry a message that can change someone's life. People who are living in darkness are without hope and without Jesus and on their way to hell. We say, Trent, man, if you could really just come to work and preach this message, I think people would accept Christ. Dude, it would be awesome. You should come. But God hasn't called me to preach in your office. You know why? Because he's got you there. Some of you travel and you go out of town and you maybe even to other countries or some of you are traveling different parts of the world. And why do you think God did that? Why do you think God gave you that job? I mean, you've got bills to pay, granted. So, I mean, he gave you a job to pay for your bills and take care of that. But, but that's not really the main reason, is it? I mean, from a biblical standpoint, the reason why God is sending you to that job and he's sending you across the country and he's taking you to that environment at work and that family is because he sovereignly said, I want you to live here in this city because I have a mission. I'm gonna get you involved in a church that's gonna be, be partnering together to accomplish that mission. And, and if your job takes you to this place or to that place and to that environment, what he's saying is you're taking that message with you and you're called to take that gospel, to preach that gospel to the people that you are encountering everywhere you go. You say, I'm not a preacher. You're a preacher, Trent. The word preach just means proclaim. It just means tell people about Jesus. So yeah, you're called to proclaim that. You're called to preach that. If Jesus is the only way to forgiveness, if he's the only way to heaven, then this must be a compelling reason that we go and make disciples, that we go and fish. Because without Jesus, people go to hell. And if you grasp that reality, it can change the way that you look at people. And all of a sudden, you don't see white, black. You don't see age. You don't see socioeconomic status. What you see is, does this person have an understanding of Jesus Christ? Is this person lost in, 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 lost in, in darkness? Or does this person know who Jesus is? And then the trajectory of our life begins to change because we start looking at people differently. This is the motivation that compels us to share the gospel. Now, let's look at the next section here in verse 13. After he makes this claim, it says, that, it says this, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. They were blown away that these guys were saying this and could pull this off with this boldness. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Now, if you've got your Bibles, you've got to underline that verse. I mean, that's something you've got to go back to maybe even every day of your life, that they recognized they had been with Jesus. Verse 14, but seeing the man who had, healed, who had been healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. In other words, the man that was healed is, is standing right there. So they couldn't say, no, you didn't. You didn't do it. Bro, he's standing there. And we saw him. He was jacked up yesterday, but he is running and jumping today. Verse 15, but when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another. In other words, <clears throat> you guys get out of here. We got to talk about this. Verse 16, they say, what shall we do with these men? For a notable sign has been performed through them, and that's evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we can't deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So verse 18, so they charged them. In other words, they made it a law and they could do that. That's how it worked back then. They made it a law. They charged them. You are not allowed to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, 
You be the judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Here's the third compelling reason I think that we've got to get involved in being made and developed into a person who is on mission, a person who is fishing for men. And the fact is this, Jesus courageously saved me to boldly send me. Think of what Jesus went through to courageously save us, the humiliation, the pain, the mission that God set him on. He accomplished it courageously, and he did that to boldly send me. What do the religious leaders see in Peter and John? In verse 13, circle that word boldness in your Bible. The word boldness here means courage. The actual Greek word is parousia, and it means what F.F. Bruce, he's a writer, scholar, what he says it means is freedom of speech. In other words, this boldness, this courage is a freedom of speech. Not like we're in America and we have freedom of speech type stuff, but it's more to this. We have anxiety about sharing our faith, right? We're a little intimidated. We don't know enough. We're not educated enough. It's a little awkward when we talk about it. But you know what? When you are bold, you have a freedom of speech. I am free despite those hangups, despite that awkwardness, despite that fear. I have a freedom to talk about Jesus because I am bold. I am courageous. I have a freedom of speech. Now listen, a few weeks earlier in the life of Peter, he's the man, again, that, remember we talked about last week, he is afraid of this little servant girl and so he cussed her out. He's afraid of these religious leaders, so he's denying Jesus. Here he is a couple of weeks later, and he's standing in front of them. And what the religious leaders saw in Jesus, boldness and power, now they see in Peter. What happened to him? Did he go to seminary? (laughs) No. In fact, they actually say, we can tell that these dudes are uneducated. Like they're common, you know, people. So if you would consider yourself uneducated, common, you and Peter have a lot in common. I have a lot in common with him. But here's the reality. He didn't go to seminary. He was with Jesus. He spent time with the resurrected Jesus. So he stands before these religious people and he's not arguing about belief. He's not arguing over theology. He's not arguing over like a political stance. He's not, and, and I, we see this all the time, like in, 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 in people, like we, we decide to, you know, you know, trumpet this stance, this political stance or belief that we have. And that's not what God's calling you to do. He's calling you to, to, to put on display the gospel, a message, not a stance. And they, they're uneducated, they're common, but they had been with Jesus. Now, you got to ask yourself this question today. Can people tell that you've been with Jesus Is there a notable difference in your life as a result of being with Jesus? Go back to Matthew 4, 19. When Jesus says, follow me, he says, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. So in other words, if you are following him, if you are with him, then he is making you a fisher of men. You say, I'm not very good at it, Trent. I'm not, I'm, 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 I'm really terrible at it. Then here's the reality. Then it's time to engage the Holy Spirit in your life and allow him to develop you and equip you to become this person that Jesus dreamed you, in fact, would be. It's not enough just to come and be here on Sunday. God wants something bigger in your life. He's calling you to something bigger. He's calling you to a life filled with life change, 
He's calling you to a life, a life and an experience far greater than you could ever hope or dream. But this dream, this life cannot be accomplished by you just by getting a promotion, by getting more stuff, sending your kids to a great college. All of that stuff is empty. The only thing that really brings true adventure and power to your life is when you are walking and following with Jesus. Now, we know this to be true. This, this is um, something that, that kind of makes sense to us when you think about it. Um, the scripture teaches us very clearly that unless someone tells you about Jesus, then you're going to essentially come to the conclusion that most spiritual people come to in this culture, and that is, all right, nobody's told me about Jesus, so I'm basically going to think and believe that all religions are the same. They basically all say, be good to your neighbor and, and to love you know, God. And so just choose one, pick one. And uh, God, in the end, he's going to work it all out. But that's not, in fact, what we see in the Bible. If Jesus is the only way to salvation, then, then it means that you and I have to be actively telling people with words what this gospel message is. I think this is Peter's point. When he says there's only one way to receive forgiveness, that means that we have to go and tell people this message. In fact, there's a guy named Paul who wrote this in Romans chapter 10. He says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That means you, if you call on the name of the Lord today, he can and will save you. Verse 14, how then can they call on him if they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they're sent? His point is this. People won't receive Christ. People won't be saved by the gospel unless someone preaches. And someone's not going to preach unless they are sent. So we have to have this understanding. We did a really bad job of this in the church when you were growing up in church, when I was growing up in church. We said things like, man... We're having a missionary this Sunday, and they're coming in. They're going to tell us about what they're doing in whatever country they lived in. And we grew up with the mentality that missionaries are people that move overseas, and, and they take a lot of pictures and show us slideshows. And so we, we got that mentality built into our mind and in our brains. But the reality is, those aren't missionaries. I mean, they are, but you're a missionary. I'm a missionary. Wherever God has called me to live and wherever God has called me to work, the family that he gives to me and the, the environments that I put myself, that's the mission field. We've got to embrace that. You've got to understand that this is why he is making you because there are people in your life without Jesus and without you telling them and proclaiming Jesus to them, they could end up in eternity in hell. John Piper says it like this. He says, you cannot experience salvation in any other way. And that means there must be missionaries who share his name so that people can call on his name. They can't call on his name unless we are sharing his name. Kevin Ezell is the president of the North American Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention. And he says this, he said, 29% of SBC churches reported zero baptisms this year, last year. Zero Three out of 10 churches, no baptisms. And then he went on and, to, and he said 47% of SBC churches reported two or less baptisms last year. So five out of 10, half of our churches only reported two people accepted Christ. And that was probably the preacher's kids, right? So think about it. Think about this reality that, that we have a bunch of churches 
And we're not seeing anybody coming to know Christ in those churches. And if you're thinking, well, what about the other denominations? They're doing much worse. So here's the reality. We've got to do a better job. Ezel says this. He says, in order to reach hundreds of millions of people for Jesus, millions of Christians must have tens of millions of gospel conversations. Think about that. About 1,300 people going to our church now. Just think about the people in our church. If we decided to go out this week and to have one gospel conversation, let's just take out all the kids that can't talk, kids that may not be believers. So let's just say a thousand of our people, right, go out this week and we each commit to have one gospel-centered conversation. We're not, listen, I'm not saying lead someone to Christ. Peter and John didn't lead the religious leaders to Christ that day, but they didn't stop them. They had a gospel-centered conversation. So what would it look like if all 1,000 of us went out this week and had one conversation that was gospel-centered, proclaiming the name of Jesus, how he changed us? Think of the impact that could have on those 1,000 people and the doors that that would open. And if we did that every week, how many people would begin to have these conversations? Think of it like this. So you're at work and uh, your buddy comes up to you and says, man, my teenage daughter, she is a handful. It's like, I don't know what I'm doing Parenting is so difficult. And let's just say you're a parent and you've gone through that or you have kids. And if you have kids, you know, in fact, it's the most difficult thing you've ever had to do, raise these kids. So what you could say is, you know what? I know exactly how you feel. I've got a teenage daughter and sometimes I feel like I'm losing it and I don't don't know what she's thinking or doing. And it's only by the grace of God that my wife and I are still together and that we're able to parent her. See how we transition that. And then what if the next thing you said was this? You know what? What's your daughter's name? Sally? Okay. Can we pray for Sally right now? Here's what you're going to do to that person. You're going to freak them out. <laughs> or you might make them cry. Because perhaps that's the first time anyone has ever prayed for them or a family member. Perhaps, in fact, you know, this is the first time they've ever had a conversation that led to something spiritual. And let's just say you pray for them. And don't be weird about it. Oh, Holy Father. No, don't want to do that. Don't be weird. Just say, dear God, I just want to thank you for Sally. I know it's, be, it's tough to be a teenage girl in this world. I pray, God, that you would give her wisdom and courage to make the right decisions in her life. And help her dad to be the best father he can be. In Jesus' name, amen. Two, three sentences. And what if you did that as often as you possibly could, right? You freaked people out or you made people cry by just simply praying with them. You know what you would do is that person would now know that you're a person who has a a faith that's interesting. What would lead this person to be so bold as to pray for me? And and then the Holy Spirit's gonna get in there and start working in his heart. And and you never know what's gonna happen from there. But perhaps the next time you see him, hey, how's Sally doing? I'm still praying for her. Let me know if you want to get together and talk about, you know, things that we've learned as parents. You know, I don't know anything. I'm, I'm far from having it all figured out, but we learned a couple of things. Let, let me know if you want to get together. And now, boom, next thing you know, you're having coffee with this guy talking about parenting, but that's not really why you're there because you know that everything goes back to Jesus. And now all of a sudden you're having another gospel-centered conversation with somebody who at this point is lost and on his way to hell. And just maybe, just maybe, if you'll do your part, eventually he'll say yes to Jesus. How cool would that be? For some of you in this room, you have never done that. And you've been a Christian for 20 plus years. 
and you've never experienced that. Let me tell you something. You want excitement in your life? If you want energy, if you want, if, if you want to truly be on an adventure, start living for Jesus in that manner and in that way. And I promise you, I promise you, the Holy Spirit will fill you with so much energy and excitement and you'll finally see that you're serving a God that has a plan much bigger than you ever, ever could have imagined. It's much bigger than your little job and your little kingdom and your little world. When you start impacting people to make spiritual decisions, that, that the, 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 the trajectory of their life begins to change because of your story or because of what you have shared in their life, I'm telling you, God's blessing will blow your mind. The bottom line is this, and this is what we see for these men today. If you're taking notes, the result of being with Jesus is boldness and power to share the gospel. The result of being with Jesus, and this is true for you today, if you are with Jesus every day, if you are growing in that relationship, if you are seeking him and, and, and he is making you, he is developing you and you've put yourself in a position to be developed, you've got people speaking into your life, and you're actively trying to grow and seek him. To be with him is to mean and to give you the power to preach and to share and have gospel conversations. This is the reality. We've got to remember this. We've got to understand this. Now, the man is standing there. They can't deny the miracle. This is what's happened to them. And the religious leaders are saying, would you just stop talking about Jesus? It's fine if you're going to heal people. It's fine if you're going to do whatever. Believe whatever you want to do. But just stop talking about Jesus for crying out loud. And Peter says, look, I don't, I don't know what you're going to do, but there's nothing that's going to stop us from sharing what we have experienced and what we have seen. Why? Because they had experienced something. They had seen something. It wasn't about an argument. It wasn't about belief. It wasn't about theology. It wasn't about a political stance. It was about what they had experienced. And I've got to go back to this for you today. Have you really experienced it in your own life? Because when you really experience the power of Jesus in your own life, you begin to believe him you begin to understand that, okay, he wants, part of his goal is to make me and to change me into something. And then I'm realizing that, okay, without Jesus, people are going to hell. Now I'm realizing that he courageously saved me to boldly send me. And so, so I'm, I'm not a preacher. I'm, I'm, I'm not very smart. I'm a common type person, but I do have a job and I do have a family and I have a couple of friends and, and I do travel some. So you're telling me, Trent, that God is putting me in these environments, not so that I can make money necessarily, not because I didn't have anything better to do, but because he has a sovereign plan and he specifically placed you in that job, in that family with those friends because you know the gospel and they don't. That's exactly what I'm telling you. And I hope you grasp that. And I hope you see that. The problems that you're experiencing in your life, if that's all you're focused on, life is gonna be miserable for you. God is much bigger. And here's, here's how, because here's what happens next. You would think that they would go back to the church, and they do, they go back to the church, and you would think that they would be scared and frightened. But we don't see that. They're not afraid, they're not upset, they're not scared. They go back to the church and they pray, which is a good idea. We almost died today. They could have easily, you know, stoned us. They could have easily killed us, but they let us go. They told us not to talk about Jesus, but we're going to keep talking about Jesus, which means we're breaking the law, right? So we need to pray. That's a good idea. And you would think that they would pray something to this effect. God, there's persecution 
and we need to move from Jerusalem and move somewhere else. That's what I would pray. God, can you move us to Hawaii? You know, people need Jesus there, right? Can we move to Florida? Can we move somewhere where that's tropical? They don't, pray. they don't even pray, God, would you take away the persecution? Because that might be a part of God's plan for them. They don't say, God, help us not to be arrested anymore. Hey, God, take Caiaphas and, and just give him a heart attack. How about that? Then we wouldn't have to worry about him. No, they don't, they don't pray any of that. You know what they pray? Let's look. Verse 24, they lifted their voices together to God and they started with this, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. (laughs) It's a great way to start your prayers, by the way. An acknowledgement and a recognition that you serve a sovereign God who created all things. He created heaven, he created earth, he created everything in it, and he is in control. That's what sovereign means. He is all-powerful, he is our creator, and he is in control of everything. He is sovereign. And then he goes into this Old Testament passage. He says, why did the Gentiles rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. And they're having this another aha moment. Like this is what you said was gonna happen. And this is in fact what happened because in this city, they were gathered together against your holy servant whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with Gentiles and the people of Israel. You said people were gonna be against him and these rulers were against him. Verse 28, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And here it is again. God predestined this to take place. In other words, it was his will. He wanted this to happen. And whatever God wants to happen will happen. He is in control. He is all powerful. He's our sovereign God. They were praying, let Jesus go, let Jesus go. But that was against God's will. God had predestined Jesus to die on the cross and raise from the grave so that we would have forgiveness of sin. We serve a God that is in control. He has a sovereign plan. It is much bigger than your plan. You don't know all the details of why things are happening to you right now. And I get it, it can be very frustrating. But if you'll trust in God's sovereign plan, you'll know that he's up to something much bigger than you could ever hope or imagine. Verse 29, they say, and now Lord, look upon the threats and grant to your servants this. Here's what they're asking God. They haven't asked anything else. They've recognized him as sovereign God. And here's what they ask. God, we ask that you continue to let us speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hands to heal, signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they prayed, the place where they were gathered was shaken. The Holy Spirit just kind of shook that. You ever prayed a prayer and God sent an earthquake? (laughs) Me either. That didn't happen to me. This is like a unique experience of God's power as they are praying. And it says that they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. What are they praying for? (laughs) Not God take away the persecution. Not God give us a raise. Not God, you know, prevent bad things from happening to us. They pray for boldness. They pray for this ability to have a freedom of speech despite what they are facing, to share and to say that which they know to be true. Come on, guys, think about it. What if you prayed that prayer? What if you said every day, this is my prayer, God, enable me to share your word with power. God, enable me to have the boldness to share your word in power. Think of if God began to answer that and you started having conversations with friends and you started having conversations with people on the airplane and, and, and when you travel to various parts of the world 
and you start talking and praying with people and talking about Jesus, think about how God could use you and transform the lives of people around you. This is what you were made for. This is why Jesus saved you. Let's think about this person that I mentioned earlier at work. Let's just say eventually, after many conversations, he said yes to Jesus, right? And as a result of that, his wife came to faith. And then this teenage daughter that you had been praying for, she actually came on a Wednesday night here at FC and she accepted Jesus as well. And now over the course of many months or maybe many years, this guy has learned that, okay, I, I came to Jesus selfishly, but I realize now that he, he saved me to send me. He, and, and, and so he, he's making me a, 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 a person that is a fisher of men, right? So he's learned this. And so he's tracing back his story of how he came to a saving knowledge of Jesus. And obviously he remembers you. And he comes back to you and he says, hey man, I just want you to know. I just want to say thank you. Because I had never heard about Jesus. I, I had vaguely kind of heard about it, but, but I never really understood it. But, but you shared that with me. It changed my life. But not only that, it changed my wife's life. It changed my daughter's life. Now, think with me for a moment. What would it look like if that just wasn't an anomaly in your life? That wasn't just something that happened once in the 90 years that you existed but that that was happening on a regular basis. Just think how amazing it would feel into, into experience if God was actually using you to see life transformation happen in someone else's life. There's a story of a guy who he's driving uh, in Los Angeles and it was late at night, so it was dark. And um, an earthquake came and he felt the shake and he pulled his car off to the side of the road and uh, lasted a moment and then it stopped and he felt like it was safe to drive again. So uh, he pulled back onto the road and he started driving and uh, the, the taillights of the car in front of him uh, all of a sudden just fell out of the picture. He was like, whoa, what was that? He slowed down, he stopped his car, he gets out and he realizes that this earthquake must have made this bridge that crossed this huge gourd gorge with a river underneath it to fall. And the car in front of him had not seen that coming and just plunged straight to the bottom. What would you do at that moment? Here's what the guy does. He runs out into the highway. He starts waving his hands. He starts yelling and screaming at people. But in Los Angeles at 3 a.m. in the morning, that may not be an uncommon thing that's happening. And so people just kind of drive right by him. They blow right by him. Four cars go right by him, go off the road into the gorge to their death. He was determined not to let any other person die. So he gets in the road, still yelling, still screaming. A bus is barreling down on him, flashing its lights at him, blowing its horn. His crazy guy needs to get out of the way, but he was bound and determined to even give his life. So he stood there until the bus came to a screeching halt. Guy gets out of the bus, starts yelling at him, what in the world are you doing, man? It's the middle of the night. Guy explains what's happened to the bridge. They go and they see it. Guy gets back into his bus and he turns it so that he blocks the, the road so that no more cars can even get by. I know the story. Now imagine, what would you do if, if that were, were you? If you were that man? Now I imagine you would do the same thing. You would do whatever you could to prevent anybody else from driving off the cliff, right? 
You would wave your hands. You would, you would risk you know, people thinking you were crazy and the awkwardness of flailing your arms at three o'clock in the morning on a dark road at night. Now think about it in terms of your spiritual life and your spiritual conversations. Isn't the gospel so much more important? Like when we are thinking in terms of spiritually, like, like isn't it worth having a few conversations that are a little bit awkward? Isn't it worth like you, you overcoming your fear, you overcoming your insecurities? Isn't it worth it to jump into those conversations and to have them, no matter how awkward or nervous you get, but to have boldness to have those conversations because we know what is at stake. We know it is a life and death message that we share, that we have. And if it is in fact a life and death message, then why are we so stinking casual about it? My challenge for you today is this, to go home and say a prayer every day this week and as long as you can remember to do this. Guys, can you put it on the screen? And just simply say this, God, enable me, enable us, because this is what we're asking. We're asking him to give us this power, the same boldness, the same power that these men were experiencing, that, that Peter and John themselves experienced. Enable me to speak your word with boldness. Very simple, one sentence. God, enable me to speak your word with boldness, whether I'm at work, at home, on the airplane, wherever you send me. May I have that boldness. Would you be willing to pray that prayer this week? Would you be willing to, to go home and if you missed last week, go listen to that sermon and, and you can download the, the three circle video teaching you how to share the gospel. And there's also a My Story packet that helps you, equips you, helps make you a fisher of men by using your own story. I hope that you'll do that. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we're grateful for your truth. We're grateful for your word. Lord, I pray that in this room that you would allow us to be a church and people who would pray this prayer on a frequent basis. Enable me to speak your word with boldness. Enable me to speak your word with boldness. And I pray, God, that our heart and our mind would beat for the gospel and that we would be excited and willing to jump into these gospel-centered conversations that would lead to further conversations that ultimately, Father, we pray would lead to decisions to follow you. Father, bless this church in such a way that we would be about your mission. Help us to follow you, God, and may you make us a fisher of men. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com.